for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagge. There have been a number of love stories at WJPZ over half a century. We can all name several couples probably off the top of our heads that have gotten together uh, in some part at least due to the radio station. So I want to feature a couple on the podcast. And the couple that I have today has had great careers in their less than a decade since they got out. Molly Nelson and Alex Brewer from the classes of 20, and get this right, 12 for Alex, 14 for Molly, right? That's right. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We Thanks are for having us. pumped to be here, Jack, and it's an awesome initiative that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, first, let's start how each of you got to Syracuse. Uh, Alex, we'll start with you. My story is a little unconventional. I always knew I wanted to work in sports media. I was a huge Boston sports fan growing up in Maine all my life. I was pretty dead set on the University of Vermont towards the latter time of my time in high school. Go Cats go. But my, but my advisor was like, well, you really like sports media and this is what you want to do. Like Syracuse is a cool school. You should check it out. I'm like, okay. So I blindly applied to Syracuse. I got in, which I was super lucky to get in. I go to the admitted students day. I realized that day that I'm in VPA. I'm not in Newhouse. I didn't know there was a difference because oh. I just clicked a drop down menu and I clicked communication rhetorical studies. Ended up sticking with that major, loved that major. I minored in Newhouse, but my journey to Syracuse was essentially my advisor saying you should blindly apply. Uh, and once I visited the campus, I fell in love immediately. I canceled my trip to Ithaca College. We turned in my deposit pretty shortly after, and, and the rest was history. That is really cool. Now, Molly, being from West Virginia, I can't imagine you know a lot of other people from your home state that attended Syracuse. I did not. Um, I was definitely a traitor. We were uh, in the Big East at the time that I applied to Syracuse. That's right. Playing West Virginia regularly. But my immediate family uh, moved to West Virginia when uh, my parents were pregnant with me, actually. So my parents just like never really had an affinity to the the West Virginia schools, I guess, like most other people around me did. <laughs> so they were very encouraging to like look outside the state and um, explore my options. And I knew probably by the time I was a sophomore in high school that I wanted to go into journalism in some way. So obviously, Syracuse and Newhouse was top of the list. And I visited couple schools as a a junior and actually um, same as Alex canceled my uh, meeting to Ithaca after I went to Syracuse. Rip Ithaca. Yeah. uh, It was like, don't need to go. Syracuse is number one. I applied early decision to Newhouse and got in my senior year, like best email I've ever received in my life. And I always joke to everyone that I was just like the token West Virginian that Newhouse needed to check off their their boxes. (laughs) to, To this day, I don't know how I made it in. But uh, yeah, loved Syracuse like from the second I saw it and um, obviously led me to my husband and many best friends. So happy I made that choice. And your dog that I hear in the background, which is all good. Yes. Uh, uh, Molly, (laughs) let me also ask you how you got involved with the station. I know you did uh, the TV station as well. How did you come to WJPZ? I think there was like a club fair the first week or two of school. And I went and signed up for both a Citrus and and Z info session. Um, again, since I knew I wanted to go into sports media in some way, I wanted to do any opportunities that would give me a leg up. Um, so I started off at Citrus and ended up using Z more for fun 
doing like music DJ shifts rather than sports there. I focused my sports stuff more at Citrus, but both I felt gave me good experience on air, which is what I was interested in originally, and then ended up shifting my interest more towards production as you know my time at Syracuse progressed. Alex, how did you get involved at the radio station? I was a immediate club hunter for the radio station uh, when I got onto campus. <laughs> Once I figured out what Syracuse had to offer after I got in, I basically directly locked in on Z. Uh, the first person I met at the station was Alex Silverman. Mm-hmm. I started as a board op for Friday Night Football in my quest to be the next uh, Mike Francesa sports talk radio host, as a lot of wide-eyed students <laughs> walk in and want to be on sports talk radio or play-by-play. You're a Boston sports fan, and the first sportscaster you mentioned is a New Yorker. Oh, all right. I mean, as you know, as going to Syracuse, uh, FAN is has a lot of influence around the people that come there, so... But yeah, so I, I started out producing um, Friday Night Football. I started working on getting cleared for the sports desk. It took me a while to get cleared. But once I got into the sports staff, that following year, I started to be more on air. So I'd say like my freshman year was a little lighter, even though I was very involved and wanted to be involved. And then basically starting my sophomore year, I joke, uh, but it's not really a joke. My major at college was WJPZ and then CRS <laughs> from then on out where I met, obviously, a ton of wonderful people. I got involved on the music staff. I uh, got involved on the executive board. Um, And then from there, I went on to GM and then went on to station advisor. So uh, obviously, I've been very thankful of a lot of the things that I did there. Uh, But yeah, my origin story was within a week of me being at college, I was like, how do I join the radio station? That's awesome. And I think, you know, throughout talking about 50 years of the radio station's history, we have seen so many folks tell similar stories. And I love your line about majoring in JPZ because I feel the same way and so many of us have. All right, next obvious question. How did you two meet and get to know each other? So actually, Alex was the person like at the Z info session. He was GM when I was a freshman. So when I met him, I was like, I guess I should join the radio station too and not just the TV station. Um, I definitely was immediately smitten and had a crush on him Aww. for a very long time uh, before he realized it. And we started dating officially the fall of my sophomore year and fall of his senior year. She would ask me fancy football advice. It was her way of... I was uh, trying to flirt. Yeah, but I, but I was... <laughs> Help me set my lineup. Even though I want to work in sports media, I know how to set my lineup. <laughs> that was very obvious. At the time, I was on a sports talk show uh, that was fantasy focused. So from my perspective, I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm the anointed expert. Of course, people are going to ask me questions. Uh, very naive to, um, <laughs> to the uh, origins of that. Uh, but yeah. Everything worked out. Typical guy. We don't pick up on these things, Molly. Sometimes you just got to take a sledgehammer and hit us over the head with it to let us know you're interested. I am literally like trying to work at ESPN. I know how to set my lineup. This is just an excuse to talk to you, but took a long time for him to realize that. So, And then he did realize it eventually. Yes, it worked out. He still does give me fantasy football advice, though. Is it good advice? I don't know. My teams are not doing very well. Okay, but to be fair, people messaged you after I advised on your draft, like, wow, Molly killed yeah, it in the draft. I did get a good draft grade. That I mean, hasn't worked out. Well. You, know, but you know how it goes. <laughs> so, Alex, you graduate uh, two years earlier than Molly. So tell me first about your career once you got out of Syracuse. Yeah, JPZ gave me my first job. I worked for Kevin Rich in Albany at Town Square Media as a sales rep for GNA and all the other stations, the ESPN radio affiliate. 
And as I'm sure a lot of people have gone through when they go through the WJPZ system is it's so awesome to have those connections. Um, Kevin Rich at that time was a good friend of mine as well. We talked about the job initially at the, well, I'm going to mention it, uh, but also it's tragic. The Elite Eight game between Syracuse and Ohio State uh, in Boston. Mm. I was there with JPZ for coverage. Kevin Rich was there as well, amongst other people. Uh, but that was actually when we really started talking about me getting a job in radio. Um, so I was super thrilled to have that opportunity um, right out of college. Uh, and I was there for a little under a year. And then I got an opportunity to transition into TV and Nickelodeon uh, in the city. So I did that for a little under a year. And then I kind of finally got my way in the door at ESPN through a series of connections. Molly was a part of that because uh, she was an intern. I had had some prior connections. Um, so getting to ESPN was a tag team effort <laughs> across all kinds of colleagues, friends, and and my wife, which was just kind of cool. So Molly, you're two years behind him. You're interning there. You're helping him get in the door. I love this idea because I, I think back to my time, I was class of 2002. Josh Wolf was the year behind me in 03, and he helped me get a few different radio jobs over the course of my career. But at this point, you're still a student and you're helping Alex out. I think I was just very lucky to get the internship summer of 2013 at ESPN in the production program. And uh, when I got to the end of the internship in August and I was, you know, meeting with a few people, figuring out my best plans to stay in touch and be able to apply after graduation. One person I was meeting with who was the head of the production program at the time was like, why are you so stressed out? Like, you did a great job this summer. Like, we want you back. And I literally said to her, well, I know a lot of other people who have been applying for years to work here and never even get an interview. Mm. So I don't want to like go back into the pool of just like general Syracuse people trying to apply for a job at ESPN after graduation. And she said, well, do you think there are people who are qualified to work here who aren't getting interviews? And I said, yes. Wow. And I gave her a list with Alex on it, several others as well. So it was more my own uh, internal stress about being able to stay in touch and circle back after graduation that somehow ended up getting uh, Alex a little bit higher on the list, I think. I do want to shout out one person too, though, Bettina Shore. If you ever listen to this, you deserve yeah. a lot of credit too. She she worked at Citrus TV. She wasn't much very active at Z, but she worked at ESPN at the time in event production. We had known each other for a while and she was very instrumental as well, with at least getting me in the right doors. Um, so share this episode of the podcast with her when it comes out. And just so we're clear, you're actually dating at this point. This isn't Molly still trying to impress you, like asking for fantasy football advice and by trying to get you in the door at ESPN. You're actually together at this point. Yes, yes. I was very honest about that. They, you know, got to put it all out there so HR knows, but uh, <laughs> they, they were aware. That still didn't stop the weird rumors that started going around because the order of operations was I started at ESPN six months before he, uh, Molly uh, started officially as not an intern, but a full-time employee in studio production. So I obviously knew the room of PAs and I worked on highlights for a sports center for NASCAR and other things at the time. So Molly comes in the door and people are like, wow, you were really friendly with Molly. That was really fast. Like what is happening? It's like, no, no, no. This has been going on for a while. We're just super, super duper lucky to be working at the same spot. And we got there independently, but also with some help. So yeah. You guys have both done some really cool things at ESPN, being so passionate about sports and getting to work at the Worldwide Leader. I'll start with you, Molly. What are the, some of the positions you held and things you did with ESPN? Yep. So when I was interning, I was in highlights the entire summer, um, which was just a really incredible experience to get to understand the process of 
getting assigned one game that it becomes your entire shift and cutting multiple versions of pilots, depending on which show it was going to air on. You write the shot sheets for the talent. Um, so when you see the highlight air on SportsCenter and hear the talent say the words you put down on paper, that was at the time what I thought would be the most incredible thing. Uh, when I came back to work for ESPN full time, I worked my way over to the tennis group. I've been a big tennis fan my whole life. I played and taught tennis growing up. Um, so I was lucky enough to be able to travel to three out of the four Grand Slams with that group. And uh, so see the Australian Open in Melbourne, uh, Wimbledon in London, and then the U.S. Open in New York. I was going to ask which one you were missing. OK, I would have guessed Australia you'd be missing, but no. OK. So f- the French Open, um, the rights switched over to mostly NBC and Tennis Channel right around the time I joined. So ah, I never got okay. to work that one. But that was an incredible experience. And then I ended up moving out of production, which is why I no longer worked on tennis. And I moved to more of a coordinator position. And through that coordinator position, I ended up working on the ACC Network launch in 2019, which was amazing as someone who is now at an ACC school. Right. To be able to launch the network that so much Syracuse content was going to run on and get to you know, just work with all the different schools in the conference at that point to launch the network was was really incredible. And to travel on the road, I got to do a show at Syracuse um, for a basketball game that year. So it just really felt like full circle to be a part of that network before I ended up leaving for another opportunity a couple of years later. What goes into creating a network like that? What were some of the things you were responsible for? So um, they had had the plans in the works for a while before I started. Um, I got pulled on around July with the, and then Robert was launching in August. And I just was very lucky. Some of the people I'd worked with on tennis and in other areas were launching and they wanted me to be a part of it. So when I picked up, a lot of the talent had already been hired and a lot of the staff had already been identified, but it was getting people onboarded, helping them book their travel to get to Bristol. I had to corral all the mascots from the conference the day of launch, like walking around campus. Um, So the launch itself, there were just a lot of like logistical travel. Uh, Does this person have a badge to get on campus? Has this person done their HR benefits? This person needs an iPad to watch games, like Mm. a lot of things like that. And then once we kind of got everything up and running and got our shows, I like to describe the coordinator role as Everything that the production staff needs in order to do their job without having to think about anything else, that's my job. So when we would travel, that would be creating the hotel room blocks, sending out information about when they need to arrive, how they're getting from point A to point B, props, just like anything you could think of that needs to happen behind the scenes logistically or a schedule or whatever. And uh that way, the producer and the talent can hopefully just show up and focus on the content and everything else has been handled. Gotcha. And Alex, more about your time at ESPN? Yeah, I started there in the highlights unit, much like most PAs do. I quickly was introduced to the NASCAR Now team. At the time, ESPN was in the final year of their deal with NASCAR as one of the rights holders. Um, and I had been watching NASCAR for a long time. I was an expert, I guess you could say, compared to the room of people who don't watch NASCAR. So I was very fortunate to hook up with that team uh, pretty early on where, you know, for SportsCenter, I was doing the highlights for the Daytona 500 in the biggest races of the year. Uh, And that NASCAR now was a daily studio show. That studio show went away about mid-year due to the rights deal not being uh, renewed as things happen in TV. Yep. So 
that freed me up uh, to go back into, I guess, what you'd consider the general pool of PAs. Uh, and I had the next fortunate event happen where I was selected to work on college game day for that, that season. Um, if I'm getting my years right, it was, it was uh, 2014, right? Yep, I think it is. So on college game day, my biggest memory was the Alabama Ole Miss game that game day showed up for. Katy Perry was the guest picker. Game day had not been to Ole Miss for either it was the first time or it had been a long time. I think it was the first time at the time. And so having Katy Perry there on site was chaos. I have no disrespect to Syracuse, but I have never seen a college football fan base or tailgate scene quite like Ole Miss. It is unbelievable. Tents, fountains, Chick-fil-A catering up and down. Like it's, <laughs> it's insane. But that also happened to be the day where Ole Miss upset Alabama and tore down the goalposts. Oh, my God. And I was on the sideline for that. And Molly's making sure I'm alive and she's seeing the stampede of people. He's marching. Like, I, I'm on the field. And I'm like watching. I'm like, they're tearing things. Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was a wild day. Uh, but that was, I think if I'm going to name any day at ESPN, that was the craziest and most memorable. It was that day. It's not close. Um, that experience was insane. And that was the first year of the college football playoffs. So there were a lot of firsts going on uh, that season that I was a part of. But I credit WJPZ and my experience as GM and exec board as part of what kind of informed my career, as Molly described, being the person that does the things for creatives to allow the creatives do the things that they do best. I also figured that out, you know, I'd say halfway through my college life. So that eventually applied to Syracuse. I moved over as a production coordinator for the features group, um, which if you watch any college game day episode or Sports Center episode, those uh, six and nine minute feature stories that get told yeah. about players and, and th things of that nature. I was the person that helped get everything in place for them to be able to do those shows. So book at a time, travel, handle budgets, handle rights agreements, et cetera. So I did that for a couple of years. That was awesome. Um, I got to be a part of several Emmy Award winning teams, which was really special and cool to be a part of. I was going to ask, it's a little dark in your room because we're only doing audio and you don't have your ring light on, but are those Emmys on the shelf behind you and what are they for? They are. Um, so one of them is for, for me. One of them is for Molly. Molly is also a sports Emmy uh, winner. In total, oh no, I'm going to sound so arrogant here. In I total, uh, how many do I have? One, uh, two, three, four, five. Five, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have five. Yes, because one's at my parents' house. I have five Emmys. <laughs> I, should be I, very, I should be very clear. The Emmys I was awarded, I was a part of teams uh, that made awesome feature productions. My job was to make sure they could do what they do. Um, so the credit should go to mostly the creative work that went into it. Uh, but being a part of ESPN and being part of the sports Emmy process, a lot of the categories are around feature documentary content. And we did a lot of that when I was in that group. So... Very fortunate um, to have those. And Molly's Emmy, before we forget, I don't want to shortchange her. Yes. So um, one of the groups that I supported as a production coordinator was SportsCenter, and they ended up winning for Best Daily Studio Show the last year that I was there. So I actually wasn't sure if I'd get my Emmy or not because they were sent out after I had already moved on. But um, luckily, my former coworkers took care of me and made sure I was still on the list. That was really incredible. And it was the year that everything shut down due to COVID. It was 2020 that we won. And so it was definitely a, a big logistical challenge to try and keep SportsCenter going every single day when A, there's not really any sports to cover anymore and B, not really safe or no one knows the rules of who can be around each other and how. So I do feel like I played a very small part in being able to keep the show on the air every day when that happened. Um, but 
Alex lapped me like five times, so he, he's got more. Hey, I, the way I see it, I am talking to two Emmy Award winners right yeah. now. Um, <laughs> let me follow up on that, though, Molly. What is it like to get SportsCenter on the air in COVID, especially in the early days when everything was locked down and vaccinations weren't out and all that kind of stuff? So they moved a lot of their comm systems to an app so that people didn't need to be in the control room together. They could have like their headphones on from their personal device and they used that instead of our usual McCurdy system. Mm -hmm. So that helps people spread out and keep only the most critical people, pretty much producer director in the control room. Obviously, mask policies were in place. There were travel restrictions for everyone. I'm sure lots of people can remember the travel advisories that were out at the time, like the first couple of months of COVID, where it's like for us in Connecticut, if you leave the state to go to Massachusetts or New Jersey or wherever, now you have to quarantine for 14 days. Like right, right. I was the person who had to kind of enforce that. Like, oh, no, Thanksgiving's coming up. This PA wants to go home. Now they will be able to come on campus for two weeks. So we ended up finding out a way with the IT teams for people to be able to remote into the edit machine so they could edit from home. Um, talent basically weren't allowed to go anywhere Yeah, because there's not that much of a workaround for them being in studio. We did send out a lot of at-home camera equipment as well. Um, so yeah, it was a big, uh, big push of technology and really like stretching our bandwidth of how you can get people to work from home on something that like in the past, there was no way you worked a production shift remotely ever. Right. It was never even considered. And all of a sudden we have to figure it out in like 72 hours. Yeah. I'm going to interrupt here because you were in a very unique place, Molly, when the uh, pandemic hit. Do you want to tell the story of where you were? Not to do your job, Jack, but uh, do you want to tell the story? Please go right ahead. So, uh, well, funny enough, it was like the one banquet I wasn't able to go that's, to. That's what I was getting. <laughs> um, was banquet 2020. I'd been to pretty much every other one since we graduated. And um, I wasn't able to do that because ACC Network had launched that year. And we were on a two-week stint in Greensboro for the ACC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournaments. Ah. So I'd already been there for like a week at that point for the women's tournament. The um, women's final was the weekend of the Z89 banquet, so I couldn't go. So that was, you know, the Saturday, Sunday. And then the men's tournament started on Tuesday. And by Wednesday night, the NBA had canceled their upcoming games. And Thursday morning, our crew has the commissioner on the morning show, Packer and Durham at the time. The ACC commissioner comes on. He says, we are still proceeding with games. That show airs from 7 to 10. Um, that interview happened in like the 9 o'clock hour. And then by noon, multiple conferences had announced that they were canceling their tournaments. At the time, the teams in the 12.30 tip game were already warming up and on the court. Mm. And by about 12.15, they called off the rest of the tournament. Wow. And so now I'm the one who's tasked with giving the direction to our team as far as what we're going to do. We still had to provide some TV coverage that day. Um, poor Jay Billis was sitting on that court for like 15 hours doing live hits back with the crew in Bristol while we rebooked everyone else to get home as quickly as possible. So he, what did he have to say for 15 hours besides, so it's canceled, no basketball? At that time, we didn't know that March Madness was going to be canceled. So it was a, a lot of like the NCAA tournament as a whole. These were just the conference tournaments. Right, right. Okay. So... 
There was a lot of speculation about how they would handle seedings if there's no champions in the tournaments this week and things like that. So the NCAA tournament itself, I think, was canceled like maybe Friday the following day. So this was all happening on Thursday. And, you know, we had to deal with a lot of uh, crew and production staff that were... Honestly, we'd been in a bubble. We hadn't been paying that much attention to global world news. We were like, right. we knew it was hard to get Purell in this week when we were on our shopping <laughs> runs, but we did not realize how bad it was. And now they all have to fly home. We're in North Carolina and they got to get back to Connecticut and trying to make sure everyone felt safe and comfortable as they traveled back. And then those next two weeks after, I was just holding my breath, hoping that no one ended up getting sick from being at the tournament when all this happened. And we were lucky that that one did. But. So one of the questions I ask all the guests, and Alex touched on this a little bit ago, but Molly, does your time at the station inform you working in difficult circumstances? Obviously, weren't dealing with a pandemic as a student, but are there things or experiences you had at the station that you felt equipped you to be in a position like that? Yeah, so I know one of the things that Alex and I were talking about um, in preparation for this was the big renovations that went underway um, during our time at the station. And I was the associate general manager at Citrus at the time of those renovations. So I feel like, and Alex has a lot more to say on this probably than I knew because it really started with him and kind of finished with my class. But I had to work with the general manager at Citrus and the staff at Z through just like big budget discussions, lots of critical decisions making decisions that were going to affect everyone else, just things like that, working through things as a student that gives you really good life experience of how to think through things. And I think working both at Citrus and at Z, um, for instance, like the Bernie Fine story happened while we were at Syracuse. Oh, right. Okay. So I just feel like there were so many different things that happened, like the Fab Mello suspension, like lots of breaking news happened while we were students. And then also just like things we were working for at the station that I feel like by the time I was at ESPN, I was really good at thinking on my feet (laughs) and working through things and knowing how to just like remain calm um, and try and give direction to others um, when things like this came up. Like that day, it was like Thursday, March 12th of 2020. I just remember it so specifically because the next day was Friday the 13th. And it was like, yeah, this is a Friday the 13th. But that day, while it was probably like the hardest day I've ever worked because it was scary and yeah, and we're away from home and everyone's confused and the plans changed a million times, I felt like I crushed my job that day. I was like, everyone got home, everyone got rebooked, everyone was safe. Like we did what was best for everyone involved and we handled it the best we could. It was not at all what we were expecting when we went to Greensboro for our first ACC tournament as a network. That is an incredible story. So you both hit on this briefly. The renovation to the radio station was certainly a big part of your time as a student there, Alex, right? It was, and it's the proudest achievement I have, certainly in college, but I could even rank it up in my life as well. The way the old station was laid out, obviously, was functional for a long time, but the need to expand had gotten to that point where station membership was super high, Uh, We had so many different opportunities with podcasts that were emerging and shows that were coming out like Orange State, Red Carpet Report. So we could use more facilities, essentially. But Citrus TV could also use more facilities. So FoodWorks was in the middle, uh, as many uh, people know. And through a a series of very fortunate events and through a series of many people's contributions, the university approved a plan to effectively remove FoodWorks and move it somewhere else so that Z and Citrus could both partner and expand into that space 
you know, discussions of that started about 2010. It didn't really go into actual effect until about 2012. Um, we got the approval in 2011. And just a big shout out to all the folks that put work into it. And if I miss your name, I'm so sorry, but they deserve the credit amongst the station staffers, Alex Silverman, Stephen Kurtz, for making sure that station could come on the air once the renovations was complete. GMs that helped along the way, Craig Hoffman, Corey Crockett, Liz Doyen, um, to the Citrus TV folks as well, Brad Slavin, Kitty Maldani, my wife, Molly, who is assistant general manager during the transition, uh, as well as Ryan Bolton and Ben Slutsky. Uh, and then a, obviously a big thank you to the alumni and everyone that helped support that transition. Seeing that come to life was super cool. Uh, it was beyond the time I was there. Uh, it actually started getting built. Uh, Z went on the air winter break between 2012 and 2013 in the new renovated space, but I was still lucky to be working uh, close by. So I came by to see it. But yeah, if you're pinning me down on the biggest achievement that I'm most proud of, it was to be a part of that team and be a small part to make sure that that renovation went through. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Did you both leave ESPN together or separately or how did that play out? It was within a couple months of each other uh, by circumstance, mostly. I mean, I left to take an opportunity where I currently work at chess.com. And as I've worked there, they've been exploding as a media entity uh, where professional chess events and influencer chess events and content around that is being more and more consumed. The Queen's Gambit is part of the huge thank you the chess world has to Netflix uh, to getting a lot of eyeballs on the game. There you go. But yeah, so I left, oh my gosh, my memory's not great. June, it was June, right? Yeah. So I started in June of 2021 um, at chess.com. And my last role at ESPN prior to me leaving was being a part of the ESPN Plus launch, understanding how to get the 30 for 30s on, on the air. So I was very lucky to end my career in a really unique position of the forefront, I guess, of direct-to-consumer content that ESPN was starting to lay out. But I had always loved esports. I always loved video games. I was watching a ton of Twitch. I started to kind of know all the chess personalities. Um, so I saw the opening. I had a conversation and haven't looked back since and I've loved it. That is really cool. It's funny you mentioned 30 for 30 because I think back to the beginning of 30 for 30 and the idea of being 30 films for 30 years of ESPN. And I don't know how many of there are now, probably hundreds of 30 for 30s. And my idea was sort of like a 50 for 50 with this podcast, 50 interviews for uh, 50 years of the podcast. And the response has been so great. Maybe going more than 50. So stay tuned for that. Molly, where did you go from ESPN when you left? Yep. So when Alex took the job with Chess.com, um, it's full-time remote. So it, it kind of opened the door for us to just reconsider. Um, we didn't have any family in Connecticut, so uh, not, not that we have family where we ended up either, but it feels like we do. We have an orange uh, When Alex took the remote position, we, it kind of was like, we can kind of start over. We can go anywhere. And while I loved what I've been doing at ESPN, the pandemic really did change a lot of things. You just, you know, like your perspective changes, I guess. Oh, yeah. so we, I feel like we had sacrificed a lot of our personal life holidays with family, working nights and weekends, things like that, that when 
when we came out of the pandemic, it was like, you know, I really want an opportunity that will allow me to just have a little bit of a better work-life balance. But I didn't want to leave sports completely. So I started poking around. And like I said, because Alex could go anywhere, I could look anywhere. Just happened that Sidearm Sports had an opening for a project manager, which was very in line with the skill set I was working with as a coordinator. And so I felt like it was a really good balance of being able to still stay with sports. Um, For those who don't know, it's a company that makes athletic websites and it's pretty much the leader in college athletic sites, as well as a couple of other special projects that they have clients with. So I applied for that. I got the job and we began the process of moving back to Syracuse. (laughs) Oh, It's a very bizarre feeling doing like normal dome stuff, right? Like going to games, getting food, but then like going to your car and then driving back to your house. <laughs> it's it's so bizarre. Like when when your normal interpretation of that is like, all right, I'm going to go back to Euclid or or your dorm or whatever it might be. Or so, for so many years, like, okay, we're going to drive back to Connecticut. Or that. We've had to like almost rewire ourselves to be like, is this really happening? Like, we're really here? Like, this is crazy. There were so many JPZ alums that worked in the Syracuse market, largely in media after graduation. I think of my classmate, Matt Del Signor, who worked for WSYR as a reporter. And he said that he liked that job because it gave him a whole different perspective of what it's like to be a Syracuse resident as opposed to a Syracuse student. Mm -hmm. And he really fell in love with the city because of it. Yes, uh, we can relate to that wholeheartedly. We live in Fayetteville. Um, we get to do so many different things around the city, around the area. And I think we always kind of knew in the back of our heads, this would be a great place to live because we could see our favorite sports teams play, still stay involved with the station and the other things that we do. Um, so, yeah, I totally hear about that. Obviously, as a student, well, at least when Molly and I were in school, Uber didn't exist, right? right. So it's a little harder to get around. I know students now use Uber and can go more into the city, so they're starting to see more of it. But I think as our generations have passed before that, more difficult to get downtown, more difficult to see things around. So, so yeah, it's nice to see the students open it up to other spots in, in the city. Yeah, I hardly ever left campus, so I just, I really didn't realize how much else the area has to offer. It's been awesome. There's been a lot of concerts, uh, gone on a lot of hikes. It's a really great place to live because you have the downtown area, but the towns surrounding it, like, have a really great residential feel to it. In 20 minutes, we can be at a basketball game. We were at the game the other night and we left the dome and the the snow was pelting our faces. And I was like, oh, we're home. (laughs) The two of you notably love Syracuse so much, in fact, that you got married there. Tell me about the Syracuse wedding. I'm from West Virginia, as we said, and Alex is from Maine. And when we had been discussing our wedding, We threw out a couple of different options, like maybe vacation spots or either of our hometowns. And then we were like, or we could just make everyone come to Syracuse. I mean, they're going to travel anyways, right? So we might as well find the middle point. Love it. Like, what is the best way to get all of our friends to come? So we we looked at a couple of different venues and we landed on Hendricks Chapel as the ceremony spot and Dinosaur Classic. Barbecue as the reception. Of course. Yep. Yeah, no regrets there. It was a great day. Otto came. It was a classic yeah. Syracuse day too, right? It was cloudy, uh, 33 degrees yeah. by by the ceremony. It was raining because it wasn't quite cold enough to snow. So then we're going to Dino in rain. Uh, and then the following morning, it's been snowing sideways all night, delaying everyone's flights out. So everyone got the true Syracuse yes. experience that day. It was great. Your love for Syracuse is well documented. You had your wedding at Hendricks Chapel, your reception at Dinosaur Barbecue. But it doesn't stop there. There's a JPZ connection on your wedding day too, right? 
There was. So, you know how people do different activities, you know, the morning of sometimes the guys go play golf, you know, typically the girls are getting ready. I was like, you know what? Like, it'd be really cool if we could do a radio show from Z that everyone can listen to while they're getting ready the morning of the wedding. I was very fortunate to get in contact with the students at the time. They were very gracious to help us out during what was essentially the weekend going into their Thanksgiving break. So there was a lot of students on campus. I don't know why they trusted us with this authority. Obviously, I am certainly not a student anymore. But you're a former general manager. That's going to give you some cachet, right? Sure. They gave me a little trust there, but I brought in uh, my groomsmen that that were awake at the time. (laughs) I brought in some of Molly's family for Z alums uh, that were there, Kevin Brown, Corey Crockett. So uh, we had some professional on-air personalities a part of it. And we rotated all of uh, Molly's cousins in, my brother Max. And we were on for about an hour or hour and a half or so. I completely wrecked the next-gen music order. I just picked all kinds of songs from our era. I took requests from uh, her pastor who called into the show. <laughs> That's awesome. And the person who administered her wedding. And then some uh, one of your cousin's random friends called in to talk uh, Washington Commanders football. Anyways, <laughs> it, was, it was as chaotic but awesome as you could imagine. And yeah, it was just super cool to take over the station and do something like that. Um, and it's fun to listen back on the air check. It was quite a collection of people uh, in our lives that made mean a lot to us that ultimately ended up on Z89's airwaves. So I'm super appreciative of the students and everyone to make that happen. We went into it thinking like, oh, Alex and Brown and Corey are just going to go over there and, you know, play a couple songs that the bridesmaids would want to hear. And that'll be that. But like Alex said, the family and friends that were in town were like, we want to see this. Like they've heard so much about Z89 and our connection and how we met doing the student media stuff. So the fact that they all drug themselves out of bed on a cold Syracuse morning after, you know, staying up way too late the night before and they all went to the station and could kind of see Alex and Kevin and Corey in their elements. Um, that was really cool. And then for the bridesmaids back in the suite, we just had some speakers playing Z and Alex would kind of intro like the songs with little personal tidbits about like, this one's for Eileen or what, you know, <laughs> the people doing our hair and makeup were like, I can't believe that your fiance is just like on a radio show this morning. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is normal. <laughs> right about now. Oh, hello. So, I'm getting married today. I used to work wait, at the station. Wait. I know, I don't know. That's Did you know news. that? That's why we're here. I knew there was something this afternoon we were supposed to go yeah, to. We just I'm like so randomly showed up. Forget it. Alex that's is getting is? married to whom? Typically, as we close out the podcast, I ask our guests if there are lifelong friends they made at JPZ, and I'm sure it's a long list for the both of you. Let me modify that. What JPZ alumni were in your wedding? So I, we Eileen, this, right? yeah, yeah. Eileen yeah. Spath was my maid of honor. And uh, she was on exec staff at Z. And then uh, Marie Strahage was also on exec staff at Z, was one of the bridesmaids. Quick, funny story about that. Um, I didn't meet Marie until my senior year when we randomly ended up signing a lease together. And I remember telling Alex, like, these are the girls. I haven't met Marie. And he was like, oh, I met Marie. I worked with her at Z. She's great. You'll really like her. Uh, And obviously I didn't like her enough to make her a bridesmaid. Um, and then Alex had yep. Corey Crockett, former general manager, and Kevin Brown, sports staffer, uh, now of the Baltimore Orioles, play-by-play, and uh, ESPN. But we also have many Z people 
at the wedding as friends as well that that showed up. You said there's a long list there. I don't want to do the list because I'll inevitably miss someone because I don't have it in front of me. But ultimately, Z was a huge part of that day, not just physically because of the uh, a radio show early in the morning, but the lifelong connections that you make at Syracuse amongst student media. I do sometimes feel like when I ask that question of friends you made at JPZ and through the Alumni Association, I feel like I'm giving you, well, I'd say an Oscar, but I guess in your guy's case, an Emmy. And it's like, who do you, and who do you thank? And you're af- always afraid you're going to leave somebody else. I won't ask you to go give the bigger list. So I kept it small to who was actually in the wedding. Appreciate you. I will do a brief shout out to Alicia, who technically got trained at Z. And was also a bridesmaid and have come back for Z Banquet. But yes. Uh, yes. I think she would understand that she's not the first person I think of when it comes to Z. Yeah. She was not super involved in the fun. Gotcha. Shout out, Alicia. Well, Molly Nelson, Alex Brewer, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and telling us about how JPZ brought you together, how it taught you so many things, and the amazing career you've both gone on to since JPZ. Welcome home to Syracuse, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.